Hello and welcome to the podcast Life Changes You. Today I have a special guest, Natasha Sattler, and she's written a book called Shits Adults Never Taught Us. Is that correct? Not shits, shit. Shit, adults never taught us. So close. Okay, so do you want to talk a little bit about yourself, what you do? Sure. I am an unintentional author, but a very intentional producer. So I make broadcast commercials during the day and then COVID hit and I was stuck at home and I was bored and I didn't know what to do. So I wrote a book. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So you're a go-getter. You could say that. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I mean, with COVID, I mean, it hit everybody differently. I guess some people could work, some couldn't. But to be able to sit down and write a book over that time is pretty amazing. Thank you. I mean, I did the same thing everybody else did for those first few weeks and just watched endless Netflix and YouTube. (laughs) And then I feel like I'd seen all of the internet and I sort of ran out of stuff to see. And I started uh, having conversations with friends, having happy hours, having Zooms. And I was, um, you know running out of stuff to say to them being like what's going on in your lives oh nothing what's going on in your lives oh nothing literally (laughs) we're just sitting at home and that sort of spawned deeper conversations that we had never had about you know how do we do taxes and side hustles and investments and savings but then also like relationship stuff and mental health stuff that friends I've had for years we just never talked about these things because we were so busy talking about our lives I know look that was one good thing about COVID wasn't it? I think a lot of people got a deeper understanding of who they actually were yeah I mean that's a good thing and a bad thing I think because some people probably if you're like me and you're an overthinker you probably overanalyzed a little bit too hard <laughs> and you start questioning all of the things in your life you look for things that are broken that aren't necessarily broken but I, I do agree that I think it gave people some time to reflect and think about things that they've never thought about before. And your book is uh, really good for that sort of thing, isn't it? Because it grinds it down to the nitty gritty on all the different subjects that people think about and don't really know where to go to ask for help. Exactly. I was very overwhelmed by the various adulting topics when I would Google search something. It felt like it was endless pages and you'd get a million different answers. Every link had a different answer. And that was just too overwhelming. And then you get underwhelmed by everywhere else. And I just wanted something that it's 98 chapters. It's broken into four sections. There's career and money, relationships, mind and life. But all of the chapters, 98 sounds like a lot, but it's all bite-sized, two, three, maybe four pages. It's all very quick snapshots, and it's just straight to the point, and I wrote it in, I think it's hilarious, but at least like a humorous way uh, (laughs) to sort of navigate all this stuff that, you know, you've probably heard somebody say it to you before, how to invest, how to save, how to plan for the future, and like how to trust yourself enough to change or fall in love or whatever life is throwing at you. But we all sort of tune out the things that aren't relevant to us at that moment. And this was a book that was meant to be picked up, put down. It's not a novel. You don't have to read it cover to cover. It's just meant to be like a little life guide. And look, that's what I really like about it is like reading the the chapters that are like two, three, two to three, three to four pages long. It almost felt like this is my reference book for when I need to look up something that I don't know about life. I'm sure Natasha's got an answer for it. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things too that people just don't know what to Google. They don't know what 
how to even start the conversation. And a lot of the mind, there's, I think, 30 chapters in the mental health mind section. And so much of it, like I've given it to friends and I've had feedback from readers saying that that's anxiety. Like I've had physical symptoms. I've had things that show up in my life that I thought was just stress or I thought was just, you know, part of growing up. And I'm like, no, that's anxiety. But they wouldn't have known it otherwise. Or knowing the difference between sadness and depression is a chapter that I think a lot of people don't really recognize what that is until they read it or yeah. I I have a chapter in there about everyone being an addict and and knowing that you're just because you're not in a 12 step program or you don't have harmful addictions doesn't mean you're not bearing your emotions with something like drinking coffee every day. Like over caffeinated people are often very anxious people or like, (laughs) and they don't understand that that's actually anxiety brought on by the coffee. Definitely. I'm more of an anxious person in that kind of way. And I do, I over caffeinate hundred percent, but I'm also somebody that I overthink and I, I'm just such a, a, my mind is always going that somehow caffeine sort of calms that sometimes. I'm also the kind of person that will go all the way around a decision and not able to make a decision whatsoever. And then at the end, I just go, ah, you know what, whatever, I'll just decide. And, and those kind of things are manifestations of you avoiding emotions. Like people who just online shop or scroll through Instagram or watch endless hours of television, they don't think those are addictions, but they are masking an emotion that you don't want to confront. And look, I think uh, Amazon probably did really well during COVID because nearly every female I know said, oh, I've bought so much stuff and I don't really know if I want to keep it all. <laughs> yeah. And they, they let you extend the uh, delivery or the return policy. Right. So it used to be, I think, like 30 days. And now they're like, yeah, just keep it for like four months or whatever. <laughs> give it back to us when you feel like it. And so you feel like you can buy a lot more than you should. Yeah. So do you want to go through each of these chapters? So the career and money shit. So do you want to give us a couple of those out of there? Because there's so many. I'm, uh, I can't count them at the moment, but I'd say yeah. there's 20 in there. Yeah, um, about 20. And, and some of them you know, they come at you at different points in your life. So I think the savings and investment might come at a early 20s point in someone's life. And the the knowing when to leave a job and uh, trusting yourself and finding side hustles might come a little bit later in life. And so the career and money section for me was the most tedious to write. And that's why I think I infused the most humor in it because I find those topics so boring. And I think a lot of people do, but they're so necessary. Like, oh, definitely. If you want a really great life and you want to stop stressing and having anxiety and all these things about money, you got to start there. And they tied into all the other sections. Having a career in a stable finance background is going to help you trust yourself and show confidence and self esteem and all of that that helps you move forward. So it just felt like a good spot to start. And look, uh, the title Shit Adults Never Taught Us is actually good because around money, um, my family was always, well, my dad worked for himself. So it was like when he had a big job and lots of money came in, you spent. When there wasn't so much work, you tightened your belt, you know. And then I started like that too, you know. Whenever I had a big paycheck, I'd go out and spend it all. And then I'd think, oh, no, next week I don't have so much money. But as I've got older, I've learned, well, no, that was uh, a cycle that my parents had. And I need to change that because otherwise... I'm going to be in the same position. And then that sort of, it spirals into a bit of self-hatred because you have a lot of 
really awesome stuff in your house. Like you're staring at your big screen TV <laughs> on a day when you're broke and you're like, why am I watching a huge screen TV when I can't go get pizza? Like, or you that, can't pay the power bill. You can't pay the power bill to even watch the TV. That's totally true. And I think that sort of, like I'm saying, it spawns the career and money definitely spawns the money, the relationships, the life stuff. And so that, yeah, that's why I started there. I think a lot of people's parents did that or they did the opposite. A lot of people's parents got a job and they stuck in it for 20, 30, 40 years. To get the gold really, watch. Exactly, which is not really relevant anymore. We're living in a startup culture and a gig culture and more people in their 20s and 30s are finding themselves changing jobs every two, three, five, eight years. And yeah. the mindset that the generation above us taught was you find a job, you stay in it, and every year they give you piles of more money. And that's not how it works. No. So, yeah. Um, well, one of the good ones I like from the career and money shit is uh, accept that dreams take work. Because I think a lot of people feel that, um, okay, this is my dream. This is what I want to do. I, I'm going to do it. And they don't take the steps in between to get from A to B. It's, I, I said in a podcast to someone else, it's almost like the, um, the X factor or American idol. It's like, oh, I can sing. I'm going to be famous. Whereas you've got all yes. those singers in the background learning how to play the guitar, drums, whatever. And they're taking their time to get to where they need to be. Everybody is doing something for their career or their passion. And it just depends if it's worthwhile. So I live in Los Angeles and I see a lot of people who are thinking that moving to Los Angeles is enough. They think that they can just move to LA, show up yeah. and suddenly somebody is going to discover them. And that's what they've done. And they're like, okay, I've done the work. I moved in. My apartment's really pretty. Somebody's <laughs> going to discover me now. And it's not, you have to take acting classes. You have to go out on auditions, find a manager, get headshots, build that resume. There's, it doesn't just happen. Dreams require work. And people think, you know, I heard of this one success story and that's got to be the way it happens. Yeah. Like somebody was discovered in a mall and that's the anomaly. But if you, you know, you want to play guitar, you have to practice every day. You want to play professional basketball, practice every day. You know, there's yeah. stuff that you can do every day to make your dreams happen. And if you do half an hour a day, an hour a day, you are now moving yourself forward from the person doing nothing a day. Yes. You're, you're half an hour ahead of them or an hour ahead of them. Yeah. And you're going to end up with better opportunities down the yeah. road. I mean, look, I must admit when I was in my 20s, I wanted to be a rock star or a famous actor. And when I did start doing some acting, I just found it so tedious sitting in the green room all day that I just went, this isn't for me. I need to be doing something where I'm moving around more. So, yeah, it looks really glamorous on television. Oh, it's yeah. not that way. It's yeah, it looks amazing, not. doesn't it? And you think, uh, well, if you think about how many actors there are on the planet and how many are actually the people who earn the big money, some people go from job to job and in between they're working at, I guess, in your country, Walmart or a supermarket, something like that to make ends meet. Yeah, usually a restaurant bartender, but the Screen Actors Guild is the union for, you know, the big time paid working actors. And it's, I believe, less than 1% of them make it purely as a living and right. have no other side job needed to make ends meet. 
And so you think 99% of the people out there want those jobs. How many of them are actually going to get it? It's the people who do something every day for those jobs. It might just be submitting to casting calls. If I submit to five casting calls today, I did something. If I read a scene and memorize it, I did something. And those actors that are sitting around waiting for the phone to ring are going to stay in the 99%. (laughs) All right, so let's move on to your next block, which is relationship shit. Oh, yeah. Have the courage to fall in love. That's a tough one. Takes a lot of courage and also falling in love with the person as they are now and not the person you imagine them to be or the relationship that you imagine. Yeah. Um, And then, like, also just getting your heart broken can actually be a really good thing. And nobody realizes that or notices that. When you're in your 20s, you think it's the most devastating thing in the whole world is coming to an end. And it's not. Uh, getting your heart broken can be really great because it shows you that you will survive it and that you're really strong and you're awesome yeah. by yourself. And it also teaches you what you do and do not want in a relationship. Every relationship that ends is not a failure. It was a success for the time that it served you. And then when it no longer serves you, you take the lessons and you move on. That's exactly and- it, isn't it? You learn a lot from it. And it's not just the relationship that you learn from. It's more about learning from yourself and knowing what you want and what you need and how to get those things from a partner and, and recognizing, you know, red flags better. It's all of that that lets you grow. And when you keep finding yourself making the same mistakes or falling into the same relationships over and over again, the common denominator in those relationships is you. (laughs) (laughs) And that's hard for a lot of people to take on, isn't it? It's me. I know. How can it be me? I'm perfect. (laughs) But we get to look at it as a really great thing, right? Like, yes, it's you. The common denominator is you. So what do you want? How do you shift it? And if you can shift it in a really awesome way, then you get to find what you want. It's just like, why would you not rec- Like, yes, it's uncomfortable and you've got to do some work there. So I understand why people don't want to do it. Yeah. But if you shift a little bit to, okay, these relationships, this is the through line of what I don't like in these relationships. How am I showing up that way? And then you address that component within yourself. Then your next relationships, the ones that are better, you're going to like, love those because they're going to shift in a way that you want to grow towards. It's basically a catalyst, a motivator for you to get to the person you want to be. Well said. Um, Look, another one in here is uh, stop keeping score. I think everyone in relationships keeps score, don't they? Well, you did this, so I'm going to remember that. (laughs) It's, it's good and it's bad scores, right? So you keep, you keep score of every time you made the bed, did the dishes, did the laundry, (laughs) Grab you you're keeping your own score of how amazing you are and you're keeping the score of all the things they've done wrong but when you were making the bed and doing the dishes you didn't see them pick up your towel or put your spoon away or move your shoes out of the hallway or there's all the things you didn't see because you're focused on the things you've done yeah you're keeping everyone's score is inaccurate there's yep. no accurate score in a relationship because every single score is based on your own perception. And it's, there's so much you don't see where you don't know what the other person is thinking or doing or feeling during the day for you. And all the little things that they do that you don't even see, just like you're doing all these things that they don't see. All of that is relevant. Yep. But right. yes, the score does go the other way. The score also goes... <laughs> 
stop figuring out who won a fight. Nobody won a fight. The fight should be you and the person versus the problem, not you versus the person. And if you learn how to properly fight, the score doesn't matter. All right. The next one in here is make and maintain friendships. Now, I think this is a hard one because I think when you first fall in love with someone, you tend to abandon your friends for at least, you know, two or three months. You might text them (laughs) or call them, but you know, you're so wrapped up in love that you you're just not interested really in talking to them because you've got your new partner. Um, And it's also, it, it can also be the jealousy part, can't it? That someone can be, your partner can be jealous of your friends. Yes. And the jealousy part of them having a life outside of you. And are you ready to merge these lives, these two lifestyles? And there's a lot that goes into that. The making and maintaining friendship section was more about making and maintaining friends as an adult is really hard. And, you know, when you're a kid, you just anybody that shares their toys with you or sits down and colors next to you, they're your best friend. And somehow you end up best friends for life with people you met when you were five, but those fade out over time. Like you said, when people get married, have kids settle down, those friendships start to fade away. And if you want to make friends as an adult, you can't just sit down and start coloring next to a person and just be like, (laughs) Oh, we're going to be friends now. That doesn't happen. But it can happen in certain ways because you can join, you know, clubs, you can find mutual hobbies. There are things that you can do for sure. I think there's an easier time now to make friends as an adult because social media has allowed people to connect a little bit easier. Yeah. But it's also falsifying a connection because social media friends are not real friends. And then you may be reluctant to go out into the world and make real friends because you're like, well, I have 5,000 followers. They all love me. (laughs) And that's not real friendship because 5,000 followers aren't going to listen to you when you've had a bad day or be there to support you when you need it. And they're not going to go grab a drink with you because they're on the internet and they're not real. (laughs) That's right. And and I think also with social media, one of the problems could be is that those people who find you from high school that you actually don't want to be found. Yes. That's a whole other layer. That's book number two right there. (laughs) (laughs) See, I actually have my name as I have my name, but then I have, and I won't say it on here, but I have a word in the middle so that anyone looking for just my name won't find me. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then if I want to find someone, I can, but if if I don't want them to find me, I don't have to. You are giving every cyber detective here a mission right now. (laughs) Every person that's listening is like, I'm going to find him. (laughs) <laughs> oh, look, they probably will. But, um, you know, it, it's just those people who probably don't listen to my podcast who I went to school with and at school I thought, oh, I don't want to be friends with you when I leave here. And then yeah. Facebook came in and you start getting inundated with all these people from your past and you're like, I didn't even like you when I was at school. Why would I want to like you now? Right. I didn't even ask you to sign my yearbook. Why on earth would I friend you and watch you, <laughs> let you look at my whole life? <laughs> I don't want anybody peeking into my life that I wouldn't talk to otherwise, but I also, I'm terrible at social media. I am the worst person who never checks her messages. I try to, I'm trying since this book released, I'm trying to get so much better at it. I joined Instagram for the first time this year in 2021. I joined Instagram for the first time and I am just, I'm struggling, but I will say like my friend request list is probably hundreds of people long because I just never check it and I should. I'm just the worst person at it. So it's not personal. You know, look, Instagram for me nowadays takes me probably two hours a day to put the stuff up, reply to people, reply to messages. And 
yeah, I always said to myself, oh, Instagram, social media, how do people sit there and do that for that long? But as you grow, then you start going, well, I have to get more information out there because people are following me. Yeah. And Instagram kind of is the way to do it now. As much as I resisted it, it's a thing. All right, let's continue. So mind shit is part three. Put yourself out there. Yeah. Mind shit. It's the hardest stuff. Putting yourself out there as an adult is really difficult because you're set. You think you know your ways, right? You're like, well, I like these five things and these four people and that's all. And when you go out and explore the world and put yourself into a scenario and get a little bit uncomfortable outside of your comfort zone, that's how you grow. Yeah, You grow, you become a much cooler person that who knows? You could find something you really love or you could make friends like we were just talking about. There are so many things you can do that are amazing that you never would have figured out if you didn't put yourself out there. Well, I really like this chapter because I've studied psychology counseling and I found it really, really good because my idea with the stuff on Instagram and with the podcast is to put psychological stuff into a format that everybody can listen to and enjoy. So sometimes we're laughing about the things we're discussing um, and we're not using all those big words because when everybody understands it, everybody grows. But when someone tunes in and you can't understand what the person's talking about, you just switch off. And it might be something you're really interested in, but they start using all these big psychological terms and you go, oh my God, I don't even know what they're talking about. I need a dictionary to understand it. So our stuff is always easy to understand. And that's why I really like this subject because, yeah, it's bite-sized pieces. It helps people go, oh, okay, that's all right. Yeah, I understand that. Because I really liked um, curb catastrophic thinking. That's probably one of the biggest terms I use because I'm the same way. I am the most... Uh, I like bite-sized things. I have the worst attention span. I'm the kind of person that needs like regular people words, not like big fancy words. And I needed something explained to me in a quick way. My attention span is not ready for a full self-help book on all of these topics. My whole bookshelf (laughs) would be filled and I would never read any of them. But I also have checklists at the end of half of these chapters for the very simple fact that I am the kind of person that will read something, put it down and think, cool. I'm a changed person. I've grown. Now it's done. I've read the book and then not do anything about it. So I knew that I had to actually make a checklist for other people if they're like me. The curb catastrophic thinking one, catastrophic thinking and overthinking are one of my biggest flaws. I feel like I should have written those chapters as like curb catastrophic thinking, Natasha. (laughs) Like it's just written for me. (laughs) But catastrophic thinking is the kind of thing I explain it as a log flume where you're just going around thinking normal thoughts. You're just floating around And then out of nowhere, you just dive deep into a thought process and you come out and you're like, how did that even happen? I didn't see it coming where I use the example of a headache. Like I have migraines sometimes. And if I have a headache that's lasting longer than it normally would have, and I'm just sort of floating around being like, oh man, this headache sort of hurts. I took an Advil and it's not working. And oh God, now I have brain cancer. Oh, I'm going to die. I have to go to the doctor. I have to get a screening. I have cancer and I'm going to die. Like it comes out of nowhere and your brain just drops. But normally it comes from conversations with friends and family that you are now overthinking because somebody responded to a text message that you sent with okay. And now you're thinking, oh, they're mad at me. I did something wrong. What did I say? Why did they just say, okay, we're in real life. They were probably just hopping in the car, getting in the shower and they forgot to like say something more. They didn't think they needed to say something more. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You say, okay. They were validating brain, what you'd said. Okay. Yeah. 
okay. And you were expecting some, something more. You were expecting yeah. some enthusiasm or some support, or you were expecting more. And all at you least got a was paragraph. Okay. You were expecting at least a sentence and all you got was okay. And now you're awake at three o'clock in the morning thinking, what did I do? Was it my tone? Did I, should I apologize? Should I send a message right now saying I'm so sorry for whatever I did? That's catastrophic thinking. And if you're like me, that's where most of your nights go. <laughs> or, or all of your shower time is spent having fake conversations with people from conversations you've had previously in the day, but with what you really thought you should say or think you should maybe go apologize or should you redo the conversation and yes that's catastrophic thinking so I give a couple of tools there's calm anxiety chapter in here there's curb catastrophic thinking there's stop overthinking all of these chapters are based on what I do like the anxiety chapter is like half a dozen things I do the overthinking and catastrophic are the same they're about half a dozen tools that I use when I feel like it's gotten out of control and I can't quite spin it back into normalcy. Yeah. There's just a couple tips that I use and I'm not saying that they work for everybody. I'm not saying all of them are going to work for you. I'm saying maybe one or two might, maybe it'll, you know, uh, catapult you into something that does work. You can try it as a jumping off point, Yeah. but I, I, like you said, I cannot guarantee any of this works for everybody because there is no one size fits all when it comes to anxiety. And it also depends on how much time that person wants to put in to fixing the problem. I mean, I've had people who I've tried mindfulness with a few times and they've gone, ah, yeah, when I did it with you, it worked, but it doesn't work on my own. And I said, no, it's something you need to learn and you need to keep doing. So every day, just sit down, do it for one minute, just one minute. That's all. Oh, no, I tried that. No, it doesn't work. And I think we also live in a culture nowadays where it's easier to just go and buy a pill and take that and that's going to drop your anxiety. But actually, so you've, still got the, say. you've still got the anxiety. It's just you're hiding it. So to work through it, you'll actually come at the other end with no anxiety or a lot lower anxiety. Yes. And a lot of people want that pill. They want the fast, quick and reaction. It's cheaper. it's cheaper and it's easier. People don't have to put in the work. They don't have to think yep. about the things that they don't want to think about or deal exactly. with the emotions. And they just want to just deal with it. And that's why people go on vacations thinking that that's their reset. And then they come back from vacation and they just build up more anxiety and more stress and more frustration. Then they go to need another vacation because they think that's the answer where you wouldn't need the vacation as much if you dealt with the things that were bothering you in your life on a regular basis. <laughs> it would be so much easier to enjoy the life that you have on a day-to-day <laughs> basis than live for the weekend, live for the vacation. How much of a life would you want to live that way? Well, I actually loved how you um, summed up catastrophic thinking because, you know, when I learned all about unhelpful styles of thinking, I read about that and I was like, oh, yeah, I know a few people who are like that, but you just summed it up perfectly. You know, how people go from one extreme, like, oh, it's just this, to, oh, my God, the whole house is burning down when there's, you know, a, a piece of wood fell out of the fireplace. I have friends who do it in just about every relationship that they're ever in. They start dating somebody. They think that this person is amazing. This person's fantastic. And then one day the person takes six hours to text them back and they're like, they're over me. They're seeing somebody else. They're cheating on me. (laughs) And I'm like, how did you get there? Maybe their phone died. They got busy at work. They're, I don't know, in a dead zone and they're camping. I don't know. Maybe they're doing something. Maybe they're living their lives. And this Again, like I don't mean to bash social media and technology, but I do think that we have become, like you said, such an instantaneous yeah. kind of civilization 
that when you don't get instant validation, you don't get instant gratification, catastrophic thinking is probably more prevalent in your life because you are not being validated in the way you think you're supposed to, where really curbing catastrophic thinking is recognizing that you're fine, regardless of the outcome, you can validate yourself, you are fine who you are, you're amazing actually, you're awesome, and you don't need other outside sources telling you that if you trust yourself. Exactly. Then I give you all the tools on how to trust yourself. I'm not just saying go trust yourself and hope you do it. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to part four. Life shit. Protect your privacy. Oh, online. Like we were just talking about protecting your privacy on and offline, but more online. It's getting harder. Yeah. So I, I tell you a couple of things that might freak you out in there, but yeah, it's, a, it's one of the longer chapters. The travel and protecting your privacy chapters are both, I think, there's three travel chapters that I think are probably about a dozen pages and um, the protecting your privacy ones a little bit more because it's the things you do put out there and then it's the things that you don't, but are still out there anyways. And that's equally as important. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and how do you be more interesting? Being more interesting is more uh, being more dynamic because being interesting if all you do is talk about one topic, like think about the person when you go to a dinner party and all they talk about is politics every single time where I always love like sitting next to somebody on a plane and having a conversation about 30 different topics and being able to talk to somebody about anything. Those are the people that I find the most interesting. Those are the strangers that can change somebody's life. I always think if, I am like, say I'm on a bad date, say I'm on a first date and I'm not really into this person. I can talk to this person about their passions, about anything that interests them and at least come away learning something from it. And every person you meet has something to teach you. And if you, if you listen to the things that everybody wants to teach you, you yourself become more interesting because you can talk to anybody about anything. And as you feel more confident in any topic, you will inherently start to attract more people because you just are more interesting. You just seem to yeah. know everything. And, yeah. and it's really fun to, to learn things you never would otherwise. And what about just fucking do it? That's the last chapter of the book. And, and really all it is, is just put the book down. Now you've read it. You got it. Just you've learned everything. It. You haven't learned everything. That's the point is there's no way to know everything. We have to keep asking questions. We have to keep growing. If you knew everything, what's the point in living life, right? Yeah. Because you're not going to learn anything else. You know, everything you're done. Congratulations. You're fully cooked, but we never are fully cooked. <laughs> We're always a work in progress, but nobody is going to live your life for you. You're the only person who can live your life for you. Nobody is going to do the things that you want to do purely at your core want to do. No one's going to do them for you. You have to do them, but somebody might do them instead of you. Yeah. And that's the harder part is if I didn't write this book, somebody might have written it instead of me. Somebody might be talking to you on an awesome podcast instead of me because I didn't just do it. So just fucking do it. I know. And look, I, I saw that on, on uh, Instagram a few weeks ago. And yeah, look, I know if you don't ask, the answer's always no. And I've always known that. But when I read that, I was just like, wow, it was like it went off in my head again. And I was like, that's so true, you know, but you don't think about that until it's in front of you. And then you go, right. Yeah, that's true. If I don't ask, it's always no. 
It's such a, uh, the same concept of fear of failure, right? Like we're so afraid of failure. We're so afraid of putting ourselves out there. We're almost so afraid of success because if we get what we want and it's let down, if it doesn't live up to our dreams or expectations, or if we're afraid we're going to be an imposter or somebody's going to find out that we're not as qualified or whatever, that we're so afraid of getting what we actually want or getting something we don't want that we don't do anything. And it's the same with asking questions. If you don't try, you'll never get it. If you don't ask questions, you'll never get it. All of those are fear of failure. And we just push through it because everything you've done to get you to the point that you're at now was a risk. Everything you did was a risk. And now you're at this point, you got to keep taking risks if you want to keep going. And I think that the fear of failure is probably one of the biggest things that would hold people back is they think, oh, can I really do it? And, you know, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready just yet. You know, I mean, when I started this podcast in 2019, I was just like, oh, can I do it? Yeah, I did radio a few years ago. Oh, yeah, I've studied counselling. And so I know how to talk to people. And then you get in the studio and the first few, if you listen to the first few podcasts, I'm quite monotone and not very bouncy but now I I think we're up to about 90 and you know each time I meet someone it used to be like half an hour beforehand I'd be like oh my god how am I going to talk to this person I don't know them I've got to look at them and I've got to talk to them blah 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 and now people just come on and I'm just like oh okay so I've got my questions I know what I want to ask and the the conversation just flows you found your state of flow where you found something enjoyable and you're able to drop into it. You're also more confident because you've been doing it for a bit, but now you're more interesting because you've talked to 90 people about 90 topics. I know. Wow. So you know so much more. And also like nobody is ever prepared to do anything. No. Ever. No. The first steps you took, you were not completely prepared to walk. No. But if you never took the steps, you never would learn to walk. No. <laughs> well, look, I found it really interesting talking to you and, um, you know, listening to the person behind the book has really made the book stand out more in my head because, I, you know, you read a book and you're like, oh, I wonder how this person is, what they're like. And you read it all and then you get to the end and you go, well, I wonder how they are like. And people don't get the opportunity. I'm lucky I've got to have a conversation with you. And I hope that people, when they listen, go, wow, yeah, that's someone I really want to read about because your book is fantastic. It's bite size. It tells us all those little bits and pieces. And as I said earlier, it's almost like a reference book. Like you go, oh, I don't know how to do this. Ah, oh, Natasha might have the answer. Oh, she does, you know. <laughs> and it's a lot of my own personal life stories. So a lot of what I use, it's a self-guide slash self And that's where you so. connect with you as well, because it comes yes. across like that. And it's like, hey, I didn't do everything right. Here are a couple of my failures. Learn from them. These are the lessons I've learned. Learn from them. But I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. And also, I encourage everybody. It's not just you and I that get to have the conversation. Anybody can email me. Yep. Shit adults never taught us at gmail.com. You can Instagram shit adults never taught us. DM me. I will get better about those messages. You I swear. <laughs> but for now, please just email me shit adults never taught us at gmail.com. I answer all of them. I talk to everybody. And there are people who have read the book and then emailed me and they're like, hey, I really love this chapter, but I have a couple of questions. Can you answer them for me? Or right. is there any advice you would give me on this? I got an email from somebody the other day who was reading one of the relationship chapters and was like, Hey, I'm feeling really insecure about my current relationship. Here's what's going on. What would you do? And I always say like, I'm not a therapist, but if you liked this chapter of the book, here's something you could try and take a little step further and see if it applies and helps you in your relationship. 
So I, I expect when oh. I speak to you in about five years' time when we do a second interview on your probably your third book, you'll be saying, <laughs> yeah, look, I don't actually get time to get back to everybody personally mm-hmm. now, but one of my four assistants does, so just email them. <laughs> It'll always be me. I will always respond. <laughs> I am the kind of person that would rather stay up till 4 a.m. and answer all my emails than go to sleep. So it will always be me, and I will always get back to you, I promise. I check my spam folder once a week. Oh, that's good. And where can people buy the book from? It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, and Google Play Books. And if you are having trouble, because you guys are in Australia, if you're having trouble finding it, you can search Shit Adults Never Taught Us, or you can go to my Instagram, which is at Shit Adults Never Taught Us, and the link tree there has the direct Australia Amazon link. Beautiful. Yep. And you've also got some signed copies at the moment at Am I supposed to mention that? I do. I have signed (laughs) copies on my website or right now, I don't know when this comes out, but right now I'm doing a giveaway on my Instagram. So if people want to enter for a signed copy, they can. Okay. Can you hold one for me and I'll purchase later today? Of course. (laughs) Yes. I would love to. All right. Well, it's been really great talking to you. Um, It's fantastic. I'm, I'm really impressed with what you've done in, in a year, you've got you've come up with some ideas which are great for people. It, it's just it is a really good book. Thank you so much. People should get hold of it, and um, loads of places to get hold of it: Amazon, Apple, Google. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So you can buy it anywhere, and if not, contact Natasha direct, and uh, you might be able to buy one of those signed copies. I'm sure if she's run out, she could sign you another one. (laughs) Always, always. Feel free to contact me anytime. I'm always around. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.